Good uh, morning, afternoon, evening, everybody. This is a, another installment of Two Developers Down Under. This is Mark Mandel here with uh, my partner in crime, Kai Koenig. Kai, would you like to say hello? Hello, everyone. Uh, I'd like to also introduce a new guest of honor, maybe a third developer down under, or I don't know, a manager down under. I'm not quite sure what the, the title is these days, but uh, Jeff Bowers is joining us today. Jeff, would you like to say hello? Oh, yes, hello. I think, I think the official title is Big Kahuna. Oh, awesome. Is that, is that on your, your business cards? Does it actually say Big Kahuna? We, we don't have business cards now, actually, since we've moved offices. So um, I, I guess we should, we should really get some at the end of the day, but these days very few people seem to ask for them. But it's fun having them. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it we is. always have a we have a special cut card, and you know it's quite expensive to get it all put together. So we probably want to do something special before we go out there and and get a whole lot new printed. It is actually fun having cards, but I have to agree with Jeff that um, you know nowadays it's more like oh I'll find you on LinkedIn or yeah. on Facebook or on whatever other you know social network side of the day. Yeah, I was thinking we should get some of these little tiny, you know, the Moo cards, the little tiny tabs that you just yeah. hand out your some sort of digital contact on. The Moo, ca- the, the Moo cards are actually quite nice. I got a, a box of Moo cards a while ago, and you can just tie them into your Flickr account. So it pulls images from your Flickr photo library and puts them mm. randomly on the cards, which is quite cool. I've never heard it's of Moo cards. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? No. Something to look up. Yeah, yeah. something to look up. It's good. Uh, oh, the mini cards. Oh, yes. I have seen these before. Um, I don't know. I have to tell you, I don't know about randomly pulling from my Flickr account. That could be, uh, <laughs> that could be very dangerous. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I could go with something like this considering my wife pretty much uh, is a graphic designer and she might kill me because um, she's not doing it herself. But, yeah, that's good fun. Speaking about your wife, actually, what's the story with the logo for our podcast? Did you do the, you know... Foot massage thing. I haven't really bugged her about it. Um, pretty much, yeah. We've been moving. We moved houses a couple of weeks ago, and so we're still actually moving stuff around the apartment. <laughs> so it's been a bit crazy. Oh, um, okay. So you can blame it on that. And yeah, I need to. I need to hassle her to to do something. But um, completely unrelated to anything technical, our wedding's actually in a magazine this month. Which is what I've seen big. that on Facebook. That is really yep. awesome. Yeah, big kudos to my wife who started the whole event. Uh, if you go to eatdrinkchic.com, um, you can see she's got a she's got a blog post up there. And um, yeah, we got, it's a real style guide. It's actually really cool. It's a really pretty magazine. We just I'm just really proud. Mm. Yeah, talking of Facebook, I used to be retro cool and not actually have a Facebook account, but uh, signed up this week. Uh, wait, uh, uh, Probably the was it, uh, what I'm the one billionth person or something to sign up to Facebook. Dreadful. And, and I was Jeff's second friend. I'm really proud, yeah, of, I, proud about that. Actually. I'm not friends with Jeff. I'm, what's going on here, Jeff? We, we're not well, friends. I, I don't on know. I'm, I'm 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 just I'm learning. That's what I'm saying to people. <laughs> I, I don't know what the etiquette is actually with respect to to um, signing up friends and things. It's different when you're looking at it from a business perspective or a sort of a social media perspective. You want as many people as possible, but when it's a private account, you know, it's hard to know. But um, I'll certainly be sending a friend thing your way, Mark, anytime soon. I already beat you to it. I just, <laughs> I just added you. <laughs> I try with, – with Facebook, I try to just befriend people who I've actually met and who I've got, yeah. you know, a personal relationship with. Yep. It's, you know, unlike Twitter, it, which is a bit more, you know, business and, you know, social media-like, I try to keep Facebook some sort of a personal thing. 
mm. because I've got lots yeah. of my non-geek friends on Facebook, which you know who have no clue of Twitter really, potentially at least. Yeah, yeah, I'm going nice. along the lines of they have to have stayed the night or had dinner. I think that's the the two. Oh, criteria. that's an interesting Ooh. criteria. Yeah, yeah. We we like we like it's not like a swingers club here, more like a a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Kai, have you stayed the night at Jeff's place? Um, no, I haven't, but we had dinner at Jeff's place. Many people have stayed. We've got a big place, so uh, lots of bedrooms, and we always have people over, so, yeah. I've never stayed anyway. the night. Now I feel mm-hmm. left out. Well, yeah, there's always time. All right, what's next? What's next? So what's today's date, Mark? The Today special, special the thing of the day, actually. Special thing of the day. So apparently this is a, a tradition now. 26th of March, Saturday, uh, here in Australia. Some interesting um, events for today. I think my, my favorite is so far, it's the birthday of Leonard Nimoy. He's 80 today. I think that's a big thing. That was quite a bit of a surprise that he's already 80. I couldn't believe it, actually. Well, he's always had, always had that sort of very long, sort of lined face. You've never really known exactly how old he was. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> that's true, and I, I think I think uh, as Spock, he's died and come back to life so many times that you lose track of of exactly really what the timeline might be. Yeah. So that's all good fun. So yeah, let's let's get into some some technical stuff or whatnot. Um, obviously, I think probably with Jeff here. Biggest event coming up at the moment is a WebDU conference is showing up shortly. WebDU! Yay! I'm going. I'm speaking. Yep, so am I. Unfortunately, I'm not attending. Uh, oh, Mark. With, with the house move and everything, I just it just didn't didn't really line up. So, unfortunately, uh, this year it's going to be my first year in, a, in a, quite a while that I won't be attending. Yeah, it's an unusual year this year. We've got a got an eclectic. I think I like to describe it as an eclectic agenda. It's a lot of uh, interesting bits and bobs that don't really conform to any particular, you know, vendor story. So, so it's going to be good this year, I think. So I'm, I'm actually quite curious. Obviously, there's a bit of a departure from the usual vein of what WebDU's been. Is you know a little bit different. What what was the the impetus behind that? How come you ended up going down that route? Well, I don't know. There's, there was obviously. Um, uh, uh, I think there's a few comments about us dropping the, the flash and cold fusion tracks as, as dedicated technology tracks. Although having said that, there's actually still um, a fair amount of flash technology and action script related talks peppered throughout the uh, entire agenda. And also actually, funnily enough, some, some cold fusion talks, but they're not sort of advertised as that. I think really we've been trying to move more and more technology agnostic as, as the years go by, but we still, you know, have those very sort of deep Adobe roots, and I think at the end of the day, there are still a huge number of people who are representatives of Adobe in some way or another, if you like. So either people from Adobe themselves, or community champions, or um, community professionals, or, or whatever you like. They're again peppered throughout the agenda. Um, I think the biggest thing for us this year was uh, we had to cut the tracks from five to three because we're just a bit undermanned this year. I've got. Um, Vanessa, our project manager, she's uh, been on maternity leave for most of the year, and uh, Julie's pregnant again, and Jeff oh, Jr. Congratulations. congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Yes, yeah. well, did know that. You didn't know that? Didn't oh, well, Jeff that. Jr.'s ready. He's, he's ready to come out sometime in, uh, in May, so it's, um, it's pretty close after the conference. Wow. So it's been a little bit difficult for us logistically, and it's a lot easier if we have fewer tracks. Fair enough. That makes sense. So, and I mean, a little bit of a technology thing, a little bit of a personal thing. But this year, I think it still will be. Uh, it'll be a great, great agenda. 
that's what I was going to say, actually. You know, looking at the agenda in the list of speakers, it looks to become a very, very interesting conference from my point of view. It's, as, as you said rightly, it's obviously not that technology-focused as such, having a Flex or Flash platform track and a Confusion track and all that stuff. But when I think about last year, that was a trend you introduced last year already, right, didn't you? You had, yeah, you some, had a lot of yeah. generic web technology sessions, which were about design, which were about like you know innovation and building interesting UIs, but not necessarily focused on you know how to speed up the component lifecycle of Flex applications, for example. Exactly. So I mean, this year it's really the three most uh, popular topic areas, if you like. Uh, combined into into track. So one of the biggest things over the last couple of years that's become more and more uh, prevalent is, is people's desire to see how other development teams work. Yep. So this whole concept of you know how are people actually working? Is it agile? Is this thing agile really just people cherry-picking the things they like or are people really disciplined about it? What sort of techniques can you use to provide continuous integration? Those sorts of things are, are kind of all rolled into what we're calling the, the team track uh, and then there's the experience track, which you sort of alluded to, which is all about UI and making things look good, but more from a developer bent, because I think most developers love things to look good, but just don't have just don't have the, the mad skills to uh, to make that possible. And then last but not least, it's the kind of crazier side of things. The you know, you've got you've got web development skills, but how can you take them to the next level? So this is the kind of beyond HTML track, which this year. Is, is dominated by things like video, mobile, and, and TV, actually, of all things. So there's quite a bit of air for Android, that type of uh, you know, multi-device platform delivery, and also uh, web apps that appear to be native apps with things like jQuery UI and, and Sensor Touch and, and the like. So, yeah, it's going to be, I think, an exciting agenda. We've got two great keynotes now lined up, only just announced this week. We've got um, Greg Ruiz, the, on, at Garazi on Twitter, who's one of the, I think he is the top um, evangelist for Creative Suite on the web development side worldwide. And they're coming out to talk about HTML5 and the rise of our mobile overlords. And uh, on the second day, we've got a, a very interesting talk from uh, Mick from Polonizer, who's um, talking about focus and how difficult it is to focus and why it's so important. And I guess their background from the Polonizer side is um, very much startups and getting people onto this whole concept of the minimal viable product. And I think that will be a great kind of um, entree to the to the second day. Yeah, I agree. I, I was surprised to see the second day keynote not being a technical keynote as such. So, what was your motivation to you know get get that presenter in instead of getting a keynote? Maybe you know done in a way as in the last few years where people from different vendors or different technologies basically came up to the stage and did some sort of a you know, mixed keynote between Google, Yahoo, Adobe and other companies. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've really enjoyed the mixed keynotes from the, the kind of big players out there, the kind of meet the makers style keynote, you know, what they're doing, what they're up to. Mm -hmm. But the, the, I guess the, the purpose behind this year was to try and find something that was motivational but for developers, okay, and that's you know that's tough. It's easy to turn up to a conference, you get somebody talking, waxing lyrically about the impact of social media on society, or something of of, of that kind of nature, which you would oh, see totally. in a yeah. 
in a classic sort of conference area, but um, it's for, for, for people on the building side, it's all a bit, you know, too fluffy. But hopefully the sorts of keynotes that we're looking for are sort of saying, you know, this is how you can, you can make behavioural change in, in the way in which you, you approach life uh, as a developer. And uh, hopefully the day two keynote will be exactly that. And as I say, the day one, it's always great to hear what Adobe are up to. So it'll be uh, fascinating to see some of the things that are creeping out of the uh, out of labs and out of NDA uh, over the next few months. All right, cool. Looking forward to that. So, so no, no Microsoft Windows 7 phone mobile keynote stuff. There is actually. There's no, nothing in the keynote, but there is in the there is in the agenda. Uh, there's uh, all, also Microsoft are no, another wonderful sponsor this year, so uh, pushing the Azure platform, and uh, we have a couple of people on the agenda who are who are loosely Microsoft related. Tim Buntell, interestingly enough, who uh, wasn't wasn't actually at Microsoft when he was on the agenda, but now is uh, heading up their um, cloud computing platform. So he's talking about cloud computing again. One of these sort of things that's is a trend and, and something that's affecting all development teams really is a virtualization of, of hardware and, and software as a service. Um, plus the Windows Phone stuff, really, Nick Randolph is a, is a chap in the agenda who's doing that uh, from built to Rome. And he's really talking about, I think, a really fascinating topic about building for mobile rather than building for the web. So he, I think he puts it something like um, building for the web is wrong. shouldn't be building for the web and then thinking about mobile. You should yep. be kind of building for mobile and thinking about the web. So um, obviously a couple of controversial topics in there, but um, you always want something controversial going on. Oh, totally. Um, what's the story with the workshops this year? You're going to run a few workshops on day zero, aren't you? Yeah, there's two great workshops this year. Um, so uh, plenty of space is left if anybody listening wants to sign up. One is um, all about the Adobe Digital Publishing Solution with uh, Carrie Jansen from Perth. And that's really, uh, I really, it's a special platform targeted at the InDesign um, uh, desktop publishing and, and, and magazine typesetting solution, which allows you to publish direct to iPad or also Android tablet devices now. So if you've ever seen Wired Magazine or Sports Illustrated or a couple of other of these kind of very um, high net worth brands in the magazine area that have gone digital and in a big way, that's the technology that they're using to, to publish those uh, magazines. The other um, workshop is an agile workshop. So in, but basically, if you're looking at doing agile in your own development team or you are doing agile and looking to improve it, um, we've got uh, fantastic um, Sandy from uh, New Zealand's coming over to do uh, a fantastic workshop on that. So it'll be one of these lazy day workshops, a little bit of a late start, a little bit of an early finish. And um, yeah, hopefully plenty of agile, um, plenty of agile, what, vibes, mental mind food passed across. Cool. That sounds good, actually. Are you guys agile? I'm interested to hear, actually, for getting off the conference a little bit, in terms of working in your own dev teams. Is that something you work with? It is. For me, it's really tricky because it entirely depends on the dev team I work with, pretty much. You know, yeah. I, I'm not as such a process or, you know, project management consultant as, for example, Sandy is. So yeah. for me, it really is, you know, it depends on what it comes down to, what the practices in dev teams are I join or I work with, with my, at my clients, basically. And obviously, I mean, there are 
certain things that are considered to be agile technologies or agile approaches, you know, stuff like unit testing, for example. It comes from that whole agile movement at the end of the day. And that's something I try to, you know, force into people's minds. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, I try to help them to get to Scrum or whatever whatever other yeah, I, agile I, I, methodology. I think it's a very common trend is that you've got a lot of people who are cherry picking different bits from the extreme programming and agile sort of movements that they like the sound of and, and in a pragmatic approach, they apply them to their development processes. But there's very few people um, that I know personally, obviously they're out there, but th that I know that, that work this whole kind of, you know, I'm an agile samurai and I've got the whole scrum meetings and the kanbans and the every other mad kind of name if it's a mad name you can throw it into the ad, greater agile community um actually kempel <laughs> it's, um, it's a difficult thing isn't it yeah kempel my, my business partner he's working with a development team at the moment and they work completely following scrum mm. and kempel works remotely for them and they basically just get him into you know the daily meetings and all that stuff via skype and that works great that's interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. one one of the really tough things, from 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 the perspective of of my own company, we obviously we build bespoke web applications to spec. So we have a client that would come in and pay for us to build something. Um, it's difficult to work in an agile process when there's a fixed specification and a, yeah. a fixed mm -hmm. price at the end of the day, and it's that whole kind of selling the agile process to the client, which is which is in some respects for companies like us almost harder than the actual process itself. And so if you can't get the client on board, if the stakeholders aren't on board for the whole agile process, then it's it's very difficult other than to cherry pick the bits and bobs yeah. that you think might be able to help you um, you know, get through the project at the end of the day. But yeah, I mean, interesting enough, Robin Hilliard from uh, Rocket Boots is talking at the conference about selling agile and exactly those sorts of problems, how you sell the whole concept of agile upstream to, to stakeholders that might be involved in it. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I'm I'm pretty much got one major client at the moment these days, and have done for actually quite a while. Um, we yeah, we cherry pick a lot of stuff out of Agile, like continuous integration, unit testing, that sort of thing. Things we have we have weekly we have daily meetings generally just to just to pick on what's what's going on and all that sort of stuff. But we don't do story cards or anything like that in terms of the Agile process. Um, though last year we had at um, Chief Objective ANZ, I think Darren Tracy did a talk on how they're using Agile at Suncorp and they just like spec'd it out. Like they were like, this is the Agile process. This is how you do it. You know, we're certified as Agile developers and they go through the whole thing all the way through. But I, I believe it's been very successful for them. I think in, yeah. in, in large companies or in large organizations, setting up a formal Agile process is really the best way to go for those guys because, yeah. you know, that would be such a traumatic improvement over classical waterfall project management or whatever, you know, they used to do before, basically. And yeah. you need to make sure that it's a concept that is understood organization-wide, you know, by developers, by middle management, but also by the stakeholders high up the food chain. Otherwise, you would just fail. Yeah, it probably also works quite well in that aspect because, you know, your stakeholders probably tarry just down the hall. So if you need client interaction, you can literally stand right next to them and say, look, I need to talk to you about something. Whereas if you've got an external client that may be either in a different state or even just in a different building, that can be a lot more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, the whole agile process. <laughs> I'm going to web to you to find out whether it's for us. No. <laughs> it's, uh, 
So you're doing <laughs> wrong with that. You're just, you're, no, you're just running with my salesman hat on. <laughs> you're just you're just running the you're just running the conference to learn about agile actually. So that's that's, it. that's, that's your reason, motivation. Yeah. <laughs> no, nothing wrong to run a conference for research purposes. I can I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. You, you know, actually, it's it's probably true that uh, the 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 agenda each year typically reflects the, the particular things I'm interested in. So it's a little bit of a <laughs> it's a little bit of a window into the soul as to the sorts of things Jeff thinks might be mildly interesting. So uh, yeah. I think it's well as I say, I think it'll be a good agenda. <laughs> <laughs> you think it will be because it's the stuff that interests you. Oh, to, sure. to be fair, you know, it's I think oh it's overall a really interesting agenda. I think it will be a great conference this year. It will be certainly yeah. different from, you know, the first years of MXDU and WebDU where it was really technology focused. Um, but I think it's probably a very good move that you, you know, that you end up opening it up to, to more generic topics and to broader topics instead of just a certain technology. Yep. Oh, no, I, we agree. And uh, yeah, oh, we're, we're very thankful for the sponsors like Adobe that uh, continuing to support us in, in this regard. So... Um, yeah, I think it's it's um, it shows that they're not the kind of you know the classic company shill just out there pushing product, but uh, they care a little bit more for the community than they might otherwise seem to. Yeah, and I mean if you have a look at the speakers, there are a hell lot of people who are deeply involved with the Adobe community. I yeah. think I think I did a I, I did a count a while ago basically, and it was like a whole bunch of you know ACPs and community champions and user group managers who are all involved with Adobe you know, to a certain extent. So it's definitely a, a conference Adobe would want to be present and, you know, show show at their technology and also drive understanding for their technologies. Mm. That's good. There's a couple of competing things in there in terms of uh, open source, Raphael, the uh, vector graphics instead of Flash doing it in JavaScript, that type of thing. But I think that the actual, the actual trend in the marketplace, regardless of the vendors, is to move away where possible in a pragmatic sense from things that required plugins, and I don't just mean necessarily Flash, but just things in general, to things that now behave natively uh, in the browser well. You know what I mean? So in yep. terms of JavaScript libraries and their their constant evolution towards a, a better and better platform for actually building applications that are web-based applications. But having said that, I, I don't know, all the kind of ruckus about... You know, especially Apple versus Flash, just crazy, crazy talk. I like the very pragmatic approach of people like uh, the Google Chrome team embedding Flash as part of the product, dropping H.264 support. I think all of that, it's not really controversial. It's just its just pragmatic. It's just the way things should be evolving. But yeah, interesting times. Yeah, Always interesting times, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking of, yep. of browsers, did any of you try Firefox 4? Haven't done it yet. <laughs> I, tr uh, I installed I, it yesterday, and yeah. I found it to be a quantum leap in terms of performance on my Mac. I was so frustrated with Firefox 3.5 and 3.6 over the last month, basically. It's just, it became ridiculous. You know, my fan was going crazy, and temperature was going up when, it, when you rendered a few web pages, basically, and, hit, and you had, like, 10 tabs open or something. And Firefox that was 4, That was probably Flash Player, wasn't it? No, it, it actually wasn't Flash Player. Because at, so basically at, you're saying is your Mac underperforms because it can't keep up with modern-day browsers. Is that, is that pretty much what you're saying? No, I was just saying Firefox 3.5 and 3.6 didn't perform to my expectations. 
No, no, I, I'm 100 behind you. I dropped Firefox in, in preference of Chrome. Actually, exactly. My... But see, the problem with Chrome is, um, in terms of extensions, there is a whole bunch of stuff for Chrome. But for yeah. example, Firebug for Firefox is just great. You know, that's what yeah. I need to do web development basically. And yeah. Firebug Lite in Chrome is not the same. It doesn't, nah, you know, no it doesn't get close to it really. So well, it's pretty good. The only problem is it's annoying because it keeps not doing what all the things you expect it to do. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I keep going. Oh, I could, I could be. Oh no, I have to switch to Firefox now. Oh god. Yeah, exactly. So, and with Firefox four, I found all my problems are gone. You know, I don't have that weird behavior regarding performance anymore. My machine still behaves nice and performant, and everything's good. Life's fine again. Mm. Oh, well, very good. What about IE9? Did you get that? No, I haven't yet um, because I hardly use Windows. I mean, I just use Windows to run a virtual machine with, I don't know, SQL Server or something like that. I don't actively browse websites on Windows if I can avoid it. I use Linux. Don't even know what IE is anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, obviously, the only reason you look at it is to make it work for clients. But yeah. there's a development environment. They've got a long, long way to go to try and pull people back to using IE as a default, I would have thought. I would agree to a certain extent, but what you'll find is that in a lot of corporates and you know government departments, for example, at some stage IE nine will become the de by default rollout browser again. You know, or I let's say they 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 are on IE six now. It goes away. They go to whatever IE seven, IE eight, and then IE nine. And Firefox or Chrome will always be a site platform. In those organizations, that's just a reality, what it is, basically. Yeah, but I'm thinking more of the development teams. And if you're developing these days, I would put pounds to peanuts that 90% of the web development community out there would use something other than IE and then resolve things on IE. I agree. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I agree regardless, even if you're on Windows as a platform, yeah. it's just um, there's just nothing there in part of that kind of browser stack for doing the things that you can do on Firefox and even on Chrome. So, yeah, yeah. interesting. We tend to use um, there's an online service, uh, crossbrowsertesting.com, basically, so that we don't need to keep track of all the latest versions of browsers and, and install them and all that sort of stuff. You can just log into a VM, do screenshots, you can do real time looking at web browsers, looking at particular browsers on particular websites. Yeah, there's makes life a hell of a lot easier. It's, yeah, there's it's also Adobe Browser Labs, which is yeah. basically a similar service, and my wife is using that quite regularly for for that's her it, work. And that's, basically, that's and she's free, quite happy with isn't that. It? It's free? Um, it used to be free when they started it because it was some sort of a beta. I'm yeah, not quite yeah. sure if it's still free. I think there is a is um, a commercial model. You can get a free account, but it's somewhat limited or something like that. Yeah, I think it also has nice Dreamweaver integration too. If I'm yeah, it correct. does actually. Yeah. yeah. But the nice thing, the nice thing about the one we're using is that you can actually like you can remote into the to the VM that has okay. i9 on it, and so you can use your site live. So if you've got particular pages that are behind, like login forms or things like that, you can still get to them. But it does mean you have to have a box in the sky somehow or somehow yep. have it if it's the open internet. We, I think we use IE Tester internally. It's like a, an app that loads the different rendering engines for the different versions of IE. And you can have a different version on each tab. So that's quite nice. So you can kind of go up the, the version tree, as it but, were, but do you still, checking the page. Do you still need an IE wrapper to do that or can you run that in whatever in Firefox and render as if it was IE I don't know what the wrapper I, I don't I don't use it because I, as I'm I'm same as you I'm a, on on a Mac platform but um, in terms of when the guys do testing internally for cross browser testing it's 
it's typically it looks like its own little program that loads individual tabs that that, that render as different versions of IE. Okay. I assume it's some kind of you know wrapper with an embedded renderer that's just sitting on the desktop somewhere. But yeah, interesting. Still a problem. Still a massive problem. We did a big release yeah. for a client, and uh, IE six reared its ugly head. Their largest client. Not that it was on the spec, mind you, so it was, wasn't to support IE6, but their largest client is totally based on IE6 oh. only. And uh, <laughs> once, once we went live, it did turn into a bit of a disaster. We had to quickly resolve some problems. That was, interestingly enough, the client was the ATO. So the entire ATO runs IE6. That doesn't That's surprise so me at all, actually. Yeah. That's so scary, scary that, that something so insecure is run on what's, what's uh, for those non-Australians, it's the Australian tax office. Uh, <laughs> Runs runs a browser like that. It's just, it's just awful. <laughs> no, but that see that is the reality. If you if you take a random snapshot of government agencies, at least in New Zealand and in Australia, you'll find the majority of agencies will be on IE6. That is just what it is. Yeah, oh, they also some... they also they also have their their web access corralled so that they can only reach certain sites anyway. So. Much of what we build can't be seen from the office in these places anyway. So um, it's difficult to try and target that browser as, as anything other than, um, you know, pure, pure legacy. Yep. But, yep, sometimes it, it just really comes and bites you. Interesting. Interesting. So what else is new in the CF space? I mean, that's one of the other big topics we usually talk about in every instance of this podcast. I think we've got, got a few, got got a a few, few things, things actually, and I think the top thing is Spectra, which is not. <laughs> you know, I'm just not. You know, it's not. It's not new. I just want to. You know. I just want to quickly divert to that topic because we brought it, or I unfortunately brought it up last. You know, two, three weeks ago when we did the last recording. Um, so there was some sort of a question: What happened to the Spectra open source code base, right? And I said I think someone actually is has it or is maintaining it and I think the current rumor is it's Ray Kempton. The funny thing is I posted that on a mailing list um, and someone um, responded to me saying I'm pretty sure Ray has a copy of it um, and like the Necronomicon it's probably better off untouched. So well. that's pretty much a nice description, I think. We are not really going. I, I don't know. You, you, you probably, I'm, I'm a closet Spectra fan. And I think um, <laughs> back in the day, a decade ago, uh, if you compared it to the other products that are out there, I'm not saying it was the best architecture or anything else, it was a good product compared to what was on the market at the time. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when it was killed by uh, Macromedia, there was a lot of upset people because Australia actually, funnily enough, was one of the per head of capita, one of the largest installation bases of Spectra worldwide. So it was a bit of a problem. I mean, we set up a website called uh, necromedia.demon.com.au, really? which was bringing, okay. bringing dead software to life. <laughs> Test it up. <laughs> Because uh, oh, it won't be there anymore. I, I checked ah. it out on the way. You could probably look it up on the Wayback When machine. You might get a, you might get a screenshot of it. But essentially, it was just all of our Spectra code, which we open sourced afterwards. And the biggest problem about the whole open source for Spectra was that a, um, despite promising it, Macromedia didn't really deliver it in time. So they spent oh, it was almost eighteen months or something getting an open source release in place, which was just. After that period of time, it was 
you know, the opportunity to continue the code base was gone. And uh, one of the biggest issues they had was the old site killer. Do you remember site killer? Actually, I think it's officially was called SiteMinder. SiteMinder, yes, I do. Which was part of the... uh, SiteMinder used to be some sort of a project management tool, like a basic... An an authenticator? No, 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 not that. Not That's another product. I can't remember what that was called, but SiteMinder was the authentication directory service. Oh, really? What was that? You could hook up to LDAP and uh, NT Domain and those sorts of things. And it only shipped with Enterprise Cold Fusion. Then I'm mixing stuff up, actually. What was the name of the product where you could do that project management uh, and team-based development and things like that. I've got a whole bunch of boxes on the shelf in the office for that product. <laughs> I can't remember. It's in a purple box. Exactly. It's a white yeah, yes. It is. Yeah. yeah, but it's, it's effectively kind of, you know, base camp in a box, that yep. type of thing. Exactly. Oh, nice. But um, there's a lot better solutions, software as a service nowadays. I mean, there's some really great solutions out there for for doing stuff like that. But anyway, on, on the kind of Spectra topic, it, it, um, it died simply because they didn't get a, a version out fast enough. And because it was tied to SiteMinder, which was a commercial OEM'd product, they had to rewrite the entire security interface, which I, th- I think in the end they bought it from the Web World guys who are another bunch of Spectra developers in the US. So it was a, a bit of a debacle. They killed the product, upset all their partners, promised that they'd released something in a timely fashion, didn't release anything, and by the time they did release it, no one was interested. But, um, you know, some of it lives on, Spectra, some of the best bits we kind of plucked in terms of concepts, not in terms of architecture or code, but in terms of concept and, and rolled into the Far Cry solution. So if I you guys like- ever look at Far Cry out there, Far Cry, whoa, what an awesome product. I was actually going to say that. I remember that when I saw the first version of Far Cry ages ago, that you said that basically, that you took a whole bunch of the ideas from Spectra and you know took the good things into Far Cry, basically. One of the weirdest things, it was actually, and, and Mark would be interested in this, I'm sure, is um, uh, Spectra was a kind of uh, an ORM, basically, you know, these object relational mappers. So you had the concept of all content items in the system or objects. They were stored in the database as an object, as, as, it, were, as it was. It happened to be a WDDX packet in XML, and oh, you know, the WDX. schema was horrendous. And you know, you, you don't want, you don't want to go down to the lower technical level because I think implementation-wise, it was um, a little bit of a disaster in terms of performance and so on. But the concepts were were sound. I mean, they're all you know object-oriented concepts and and so on. The problem for us is that we had a lot of clients running Spectra and we needed to port them to something. And so we had to you know, rewrite a whole new CMS and actually get stuff moving. And that was the birth of Far Cry as a commercial product. And one of the things that, that uh, I was involved in writing was 4Q. 4Q as in four queries, uh, create, edit, update and delete. And 4Q was, a, a, was an ORM based on the very first components released as part of NEO. So that was written during the NEO Alpha. I think it was probably the first Cold Fusion ORM that was released, and that became the heart of Far Cry as a framework and the so-called Content Object API, which is um, you know this concept of holding all records as objects, how they're actually kept in the database. The developer doesn't necessarily need to know. They just ask the framework and an object pops out. So let me ask so you. That was let, the history. Let me ask you a question, um, and that's something I've never tried. But is it actually possible and worth taking 4Q as 
a you know separate API or product to do OM without Far Cry as such? No, I mean not not at all. So it would have been back in the days of the very first Cold Fusion or CFMX six release. Okay. So it was released originally as a totally isolated project. And then eventually was rolled into. Uh, no, no one had a great deal of interest in it actually. So if you go back to sort of, that's a 2002-2003 timeframe, there was um, I, I don't know. Open source in the Cold Fusion community was it's pretty rare really. And in terms of, um, uh, you can imagine that market. It was the it was the dot com boom, and then went straight into the bubble burst and went into the crash. And so it wasn't a huge amount of um, people interested in donating their time for free, even though probably people had a lot of free time. <laughs> yeah. um, in, I mean, it, running open source communities and things is, is, is it's got its own challenges in its own right. But in Cold Fusion community, I think only until relatively recently have we started to see, you know, in the last sort of five years, people really starting to contribute to that. And I don't know that necessarily Adobe's reaction to those open source communities, I don't mean the engines, but just communities in general, has been as good as it could have been. But... Um, you know, I mean, the commercial entity and understanding open source can be a little bit difficult sometimes. But needless to say, uh, you know, 4Q got wrapped up, rolled in. Um, it's got a lot of stuff in it that does, um, you know, caching at the at the object level, and then we cache the resulting HTML fragments in another sort of level. So there's a whole range of caching in the what we call the object broker that runs on top of 4Q, that is tied closely to um, the way in which views are rendered in Far Cry. So that would make it difficult to extract or excise it and use it anywhere else outside of the framework. Um, and I think there are plenty of products out there. Some Mark will know some, you know, ORM products that work reasonably well. Yeah, probably does actually. Even though they all become obsolete at some stage, obviously. Confusion. <laughs> any any good idea, then Adobe picks it up. It's good. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm actually the unofficial um, Cold Fusion product manager. I don't, I don't think anyone else knows that. But <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it was interesting. It's interesting. Somebody said to me, "Why don't we use the Cold Fusion Nine ORM product?" And I Good was question. like, "Well, it it doesn't do everything that we do, which is one problem. So you know, we'd be doing a lot of re-engineering and, and refactoring to make it work, and it, we wouldn't really necessarily get any other benefit beyond support for for databases." Uh, one of the cool things we do that the other frameworks don't do is we we introspect the code and then generate the schema rather than the other way around. I think I don't think there's any other framework that does it. I mean, typically, people are you build a schema, you introspect the schema, and then you generate um, code that that represents how you communicate with that database. Yeah. But, I um, does that. CF9 does that. Well, okay, sort of. No, it does. Does if you. Yeah, okay, so if I was to change a property inside CF9, would it update the table in yep. the database? If you tell it to, to either drop create or uh, have an add update, it'll do that for you. So it'll update the actual properties? Yeah. Do an alter table? Yep. That's cool. Good. Yep. We do the same thing. We also do it on Cold Fusion 8, Rilo, <laughs> and... And interestingly enough, we also now do indexation, so we automatically have uh, indexing, which you can specify just straight off the object. So you create an object, nominate what the properties are, add your own attributes and metadata, and it will automatically do, um, you know, that kind of deployment to the database. And the coolest thing is the CF9 difference too. in the database. Just saying. Yeah, but it's CF9, mate. You can do it, but nobody does it. Who does it? I'd be interested to see who does it. Does what? 
That's CF9. exactly that. That's CF9. <laughs> <laughs> Deploys table and schema changes through their framework as part of the natural way of doing development. Not to, I would say not to production. I'd, I'd, I'd have a SQL script to do it and I'd test out my deployment that way. I don't, I don't know if I'd trust my code to do the updates for me. Well, we I'm generate bad. the SQL statement so you can deploy it separately if you want to. That's but nice. I, I think it's, um, as I say, without kind of, just Far Cry does a lot and it does it all before CF9, which is, I think, interesting and it's one of the reasons why it's difficult for us to move to that warm as a layer. We'd need it to do more mm-hmm. than it currently does. Hmm. But no, I didn't know it deployed indexes. It's very good. Yeah, Hibernate's a really slick bit of code. Cool. So let's move away from Spectra and the history, and let's have a look at the future, maybe, or the you know, future of Spectra. I don't not, know. Not the future of Spectra, <laughs> but maybe the future of Cold Fusion. I mean, one of the things that was some sort of quite big in the news and you know, across blogs and Twitter was obviously um, the fact that. At Scotch of the Rocks in early, well, around early March or whenever it was, um, there was the first public talk about Cold Fusion 10. Yep. Or Cold Fusion Next, whatever the official wording is. I don't know. And that looks quite interesting, doesn't it? Has any one of you guys had a look into you know the feature announcements and the stuff they mentioned in the keynote? Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of good stuff. Um, we can probably talk probably point by point as as we go through it. Um, they're finally dropping Verity, which is a good thing. Yeah, I, agree. I didn't know. They, they, I, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> didn't they, oh. they dropped Verity? They dropped Verity two versions ago, didn't they? I mean, seriously. Well, they it's said, just, they said it's there they said is a legacy. It was it was said, deprecated, sort of. Yeah. I think you know, and now it's going away. I think the yeah. biggest problem for the whole Verity thing is that Verity still has been a very good product. It's, you know, astoundingly, it's so old, and yet it's still performs as a little workhorse. The implement the original implementation of Solar, I think, was uh, very poor, especially for um, processing files and, and the way in which those files are indexed and the metadata was extracted from them and so on. That, I think, they've done huge leaps and, and bounds um, through the last couple of versions, certainly in the release of 9 and 9.01. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Solar's a brilliant product. It's oh, not my like, God, it's um, a brilliant product. We're going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, you done much? You done good. much stuff with Solar, Jeff? Uh, only, only, unfortunately, only to get the stuff going with CF, and okay. that's a little bit of a problem because I think a lot of people, you know, they see Solar as just a replacement for Verity. I mean, it's yeah, clearly it's, it's not. not. It's it's just so much more powerful. Yeah. But it's not immediately apparent as to how you would access that power. Certainly through Cold Fusion, yeah. you need to kind of get under the hood and tinker around a bit. But um, there's a lot of good, well, not a lot, but a few good articles out there about getting it to go. You just wish yeah. that sort of thing was um, was explored a little bit more um, by the yeah, community but, in general. Yeah. As, as I said on the last podcast, I've been doing a lot of stuff with Solar recently. Actually, recently just put into production first Solar-based CF application. And we just decided, nah, we're just going to drop Solar on Jetty and stick it as a completely different server and then interact yeah. with it with the with the Java API. But yeah, like just Solar. So, so you're not using Cold Fusion's gateway at all? Nah, can't bother. Because it doesn't, it doesn't expose anything. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to say it's like the problem that we've had with yeah. the Solar release and what they should definitely look at doing in the 10 release is going. Look, here's the old CF search tags, and they kind of work in the old way Verity did. But here's yeah. a whole new set of different tags. There's a whole new tag library. Yeah. 
yep, yep, completely yep. different. I'm not tied to the way Verity okay. used to work. Um, because I if mean, they don't do that, yeah. it's a huge waste of opportunity. But it's a, it's a tricky one though, because like Solar itself has got its own like XML configuration files, so you can set up you know how your search index is, is set up and how you index it yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And all your so keyword waiting to, options and yeah, you know, it's yeah. great. It's all that great sort product. of fun stuff. Yeah, but so if you've got the interesting question is actually um, is is how do you get like on a per application basis? How does that get configured for each application? I don't know how you'd actually end up doing that. Yeah, it's quite a complex config. Yeah, you, oh, you could do it because you've got solar multi-cores and you could actually create them on the fly, maybe. Anyway, it, yeah, it becomes a bit of an interesting one. So it, it, when, yeah, for what we were doing, I was just going, you know what, it's just easier to set up our own solar instance and then we can manage that separately ourselves and we don't have to worry about it falling over because of CF. And Look, I mean, the thing runs, like, it's, it's so lightweight, it's stupid. Um, and so ridiculously fast. I like, yeah, I love solar. But it would be awesome in CF if you'd be like, here's all my products, you know, bung it into solar, now give me a faceted search, thank you very much. <laughs> that would be really cool. Okay, yeah, so what else happens in ColdFusion next, <laughs> 10? Because we, otherwise you're going to talk about solar for the next 20 minutes, and that we had that okay. before. <laughs> we had that Sorry, talk already. I'm, I can uh, keep going. I'm here. <laughs> so I'm actually just going around Ray Camden's uh, blog post at the moment. Uh, J Run is being removed in favor of Tomcat. That's awesome. I love that. That is so. Why? No, hang on. Why was it Tomcat, not J Boss? I think the there is no need for having a full J Boss server below called Fusion. J Boss is currently supported. Tomcat, as far as I'm aware, is not supported in production, or it's only supported very recently. But look, the reality is, you know, inside JBoss, there is some sort of Tomcat running anyway. ColdFusion is just not supported um, on a standalone Tomcat yet, officially. Oh, yeah. But Tomcat is just more lightweight than JBoss is. And technically, ColdFusion doesn't need a full-blown JEE yeah. server to run. Yeah. So it yeah. basically just needs a Surflet engine, and that's you know, that's Tomcat is a good choice for that, I think. So it's Tomcat all the way because it's lightweight. I would, I don't know. It's probably Tomcat all the way because it's lightweight and because it has an active development community. Adobe could hook into easily to, you know, help developing the product Tomcat towards the needs for ColdFusion as well, you know, and make the necessary modifications. Yeah. I can see it working in a similar way, like, you know, for example, how Tom Jordal was actively involved with the Access One community, building the Access Web Service Engine, and then, you know, also taking that benefit into, you know, developing Access integration for ColdFusion originally. So it's some sort of a symbiotic relationship, really, I guess, or it will hopefully become one. Maybe they can't use JBoss because there are other symbiotic, symbiotic relationships in place. It's possible. It's quite possible. <laughs> that is an interesting thought. I haven't really thought about that, but I, I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad decision. I just think it's an interesting, to, an interesting decision yeah. given the current, current commercial support for JBoss under, under the but, enterprise products. So. But you know, technically, if you look at other, other Adobe enterprise products, for example, Adobe Connect, right? Runs on Tomcat already. It's not ah, that you know, interesting, yeah, because they used to run on JRun, didn't? Um, Breeze used to run on oh, JRun at yeah. some stage, I think. Yes, but if you get like Connect Seven or Connect Eight, just comes with an embedded Tomcat, basically. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. I have read in a few places that uh, there are some unofficial reports, quote unquote, that uh, CF does run a lot faster on Tomcat. I've heard that as well, actually, for interview yeah. blog posts and people, you know. 
tweeting about stuff. And I've always wanted to give it a try, but I never really yeah, got Yeah, I haven't given it a shot. Yeah. So moving down the list, and you were just talking about it a bit, uh, web services are going to be updated to Access 2. This is um, a I'm super, sure you have an opinion on that. Oh, totally. <laughs> this is a super big one for me because I was lobbying for that change since called Fusion 7. And I wrote numerous, you know, enhancement requests and justifications why I needed that functionality. The thing is, Access 1 is just totally limited, right? All the modern web service standards to do proper web service interoperability, to hook into web services, you know, which are secure with web service notification, with all those add-on standards, it's pretty much impossible to do that in a nice way with Access 1 in ColdFusion. You can do it, sure, you can emulate all that stuff, basically, by, you know, writing your own XML and pushing it over the wire via CFHTTP. If you're happy to do that, that's cool. I'm personally not that much happy to do that. Well, if you're happy to do that, you'd be happy to use Java, I guess. Exactly, the, that's exactly yeah. the thing, right? I'm, it's I'm not in, the ColdFusion way, is it, really? It's supposed to be simple. Exactly, we're using ColdFusion because we want to, you know, get the benefits of using ColdFusion, really. And... Mm. You just couldn't do it, basically. And I had to deal with a few integration projects where we had to hook up to .NET web services, which you know, which followed all those add-on standards. And it became a nightmare to code that. I had to go through uh, writing... .NET web services. I had to oh. go to, to, to resort to writing a standalone Java client as a proxy, which ColdFusion talked to. And then oh, that wow. Java client used Access2 and some add-on libraries to basically wrap my XML data into something that I could then pass on to the .NET web service and the other way around, obviously, as well. And it was just like, you know, you had that single point of failure, a little Java tool listening on sockets and stuff, and it was just, oh, you know, painful. Now, really. Here's a question for you. Does anybody outside the .NET community actually use web services? <laughs> because I say that I, I say that a little bit like yeah. that, but it's a fair if question. You yeah. go out to the greater sort of web community as an API standard. It wouldn't be web services for providing mashable software as a service options. Do you mean people. Do you mean SOAP web services? Just so we clarify, rather than SOAP web services yes. versus a REST service. So, for, so what, yeah. I guess what I'm really it's a leading question towards um, is SOAP dead and REST. Is the new, you know, long live the king. Obviously, I have an opinion on that. I mean, remember at yeah. WebDU, I had, I did two talks on web services. One, like, a really long time ago. I remember that talk, actually. It was basically you just sitting there going, doesn't work, doesn't work, pretty exactly. much doesn't work. What you're doing, doesn't work. <laughs> exactly, because there are major issues with SOAP web services and interop. Or, you know, at least there used to be major issues at that time, right? And then, I think two years back, two years later... 2008 or 2009 at WebDU, I did a web services revisited talk, right? And I, you know, went back to my slides and basically looked at it again and said, hey, does anything have changed really? Or is it still the same problems we're dealing with, right? Or, and the reality is, I think, REST web services or REST services, let's call it that way, are very, very valid and they have a huge place. But you'll find that the more corporate and the more enterprise you go, the less those services are used and the more SOAP-based web services are used. I'd agree with that. But the, the question I'd say is, is why? I mean, why, for example, does an enterprise need a web service when someone like Twitter or, um, or even Amazon don't? I mean, these are, these are pretty high-end services that provide all kinds of 
that is, options to you. That is a fair question. Uh, that is a fair question, and I think part of it is not the pure data exchange, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter if I use a REST-based service or if I use a SOAP-based service to, you know, send a string back and forth. That's quite clear to everyone, really. But then when it comes to those additional standards like web service notification that I can put something into a queue and I get a notification token back and I can, you know, basically my client is assured that this message into the web service queue will be delivered and all that type of extra stuff, that is really something you cannot do that easily with the REST API. Sure, you can make it secure, but there is functionality in the SOAP way of doing things and in the WS star way of doing things that you can't easily achieve with a REST-based web service unless you spend the time of you know, coding your own additional layers on top of your REST service. Oh, I'm not convinced. That's fair enough. That's, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, it sounds to me like a lot of it, people have bought into web services. They're stuck with them. They're stuck with the concept of treating a connection like an object and passing objects around. And, and, and it's, it's just you want that interface to be as simple as it could possibly be. And SOAP isn't it. Yeah, I agree. I think part of it is also obviously vendor-driven, right? I mean, you have yeah, absolutely huge companies like Microsoft, IBM, probably even Adobe to a certain 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 degree, who made huge investments into the SOAP technology stack, and not just in in their own products, but also in you know supporting committees discussing those standards and you know rolling them out via the W3C and whatever organizations are behind the, all those things. And obviously, you don't give that up lighthearted here. You, you know, there needs there need to be a strong market force to convince those organizations to say, right. So soap is maybe too complicated. Let's go to rest from now on. Anyway, but anyway, you know, yeah, Anyway, you know, the move to XS2 is great from my point of view. Cool. I'm gonna move this along because we're already at an hour. Oh, um, I know. Uh, schedule task improvements. I don't know if this is, I think this is going to be cool for some people and other people are going to be like, eh. um, so things like ranges, conditionals, triggers, apparently chaining, priority, grouping. Um, do, do you know the, the thing you say, this would be Schedule tasks? one of the best things since sliced bread for cold fusion. Really, you reckon? I can't, really? What, what, astounds, truly, what astounds me with the sort of work that we've been doing, recently, for example, we built uh, University of New South Wales TV, which is this huge kind of YouTube-esque portal for managing all the video media across the university and it's got a lot of asynchronous processes so we we do all the transcoding it pops off to ffmpeg transcoding farm and it comes yep. back and gets half a dozen renditions and so on the the whole this whole you would have thought in this modern day and age you get away from a batch process or some kind of asynchronous process but they're there all the time any large engineering project yep. you do always has some engine has some background process that invariably is out of your control and fail. Do we just lose Jeff? Um, it sounds a bit like. Sorry, sorry. Oh, no, just just need. Back, I'm back. Okay. Somebody trying to. Some trying to call. I just put them on hold. The um. The, you just need something to manage that asynchronous task. And uh, maybe I haven't seen the specs. Obviously, we haven't seen it working. But see if job sounds like it might yeah, be something that would do that. You want a simple message queue. Yeah, that, that makes that sense. Survive, I think that's going to be awesome. Survives a server restart. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That type of thing. And I think a lot of 
think we lost Jeff again. Probably the same person calling again, actually. Just stops talking. So maybe we just continue and he will be back anyway in a few seconds, probably, I hope. Probably. I think, I think we can probably turn around and say Jeff likes jobs. Jeff, Jeff apparently likes jobs a lot, actually. Um, and uh, to be fair, to be fair I, haven't, I haven't really um, you know, thought about it that much, but he's right. You know? There is a lot of that type of processing going on in any type of larger app. That is yeah. true. And I think there's definitely things where I've done where you've got, a, you've got some scheduled task that always runs to pick stuff up off a queue. That'll actually be a lot easier to do to just say, you know, this is a job, stick it on the queue, get it done when you need to get it done. Yep. You, you need a be simple nuts. message queue. It's really yeah. just a simple message queue, not a whole, you know, full-blown queuing service with broadcasts and publishers. And everything. Just a simple message queue would solve a huge number of problems that are, you know, day-to-day architectural issues that you do with scheduled tasks, polling things, and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that, that is flap trap that that, you, that goes on behind the scenes. But um, it'll be it'll be really nice as well. Even like looking at controls and stuff, like being able to say, "Look, run this scheduled task when CPU drops below like twenty percent." So you know, you you don't have to you don't have to have a whole separate server or anything like that. You can just basically say, "Look, when there's a quiet time, I want you to run this." Yeah. Um, you can do really nice stuff that way. So it's, yeah, it's actually, you know, I take that back. I think it's actually going to be pretty cool. I think, yeah, I take back my original statement. I think one of the interesting things, having worked a little bit uh, in, in recent years with a lot of kind of uh, Ruby-esque people and Python people and, and the like, is this whole concept of services that you can start and stop and you've got the control over your development environment that just doesn't seem to be there with cold fusion sometimes where you've got this almost monolithic sort of beast that fires up, takes many seconds to come to life, just execute the simplest page. There's so much cruft in there that, you know, from flash forms to God knows what that you just don't want. It'd be nice to be able to have a much cleaner engineered solution that you can, you can kind of tailor to the task at hand. But I don't know if we're getting anywhere in, near that anytime soon. In, in the defense of, of the uh, how, how CF's built, I know for a fact, um, having dug way down into it, a lot of that stuff doesn't fire up until you ask for it. So if you're asking for like graphing services or flash form services, that is, is completely lazy loaded in the background. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that is that is fired up immediately. But there is a lot of services that are kind of like, okay, if you don't ask for these, they don't get started up. So you don't actually have any impact because of them. And so. I wonder if you could, if you couldn't, if you want to get rid of some of those at least by you know tweaking the web XML and server XML files to you know make sure you don't even have the flash forms subservice even in there basically. Could do that too. Yeah. Okay, so what else have we got on the list? Oh, something small, uh, basically integrated Java loader and dynamic proxies. Java loader? What? Yeah. Why do we need one of those? Because apparently I built this really cool thing called Java Loader and something needs to go into Confusion 10. <laughs> I actually, I have a theory. I have a theory. So if anyone looks on RIA Forge, they'll see that Java Loader is actually the number one project on RIA Forge, uh, second to Blog CFC, which is a Ray Camden project. Now, basically, I'm thinking this is a grand conspiracy by Ray Camden uh, to get Java Loader into Confusion oh. so that he is the number one the number one project because um, I'm currently bidding him by oh, 10,000 downloads. But, you know, that's okay. <laughs> that's an assen- these days it's, a, it's, a, it's funny, isn't it, because it is an essential service. It's just essential. You can't really do anything with an external Java file without using it. Because it's awesome. 
Um, <laughs> just pat myself on the back. No, I th- you know what? I actually think it's, I'll tell you why I think it's a good thing to have it in CF. Um, and it's actually not because of Java loader. It's because of the dynamic proxies. Um, because then you can use dynamic proxies anywhere without having to worry about whether or not there's certain settings turned on and off in, in yeah. CF. Um, so yeah, the Java loader side of things, great. They should have had it ages ago. Um, but now they have it, which is good. Um, and what was really nice is I had a good chat with the, the CF engineering team and talked them through what I was doing. And so they, you know, they could basically just lift my code and stick it in. Um, but the dynamic proxy thing is really awesome because it means that you can actually then build CFCs that, as far as Java is concerned, basically are the same as a Java interface or a given Java interface. So mm-hmm. talking to Java, like talking from a Java object to a CFC suddenly becomes instantly, instantly, instantly much easier. Um, so you can actually do stuff like, you know, there's, there's classes in Java to be able to, you know, arbitrarily sort arrays, for example, you know, you have this class called a comparator and it's just an interface. So you could actually just write, you know, a CFC that has the same methods as what a comparator has and then say to Java loader, you know, to, to the, the dynamic proxy, whatever tool we'll have in CF10, hey, make this a comparator and then I can pass this off to the, the native Java sorting stuff. You know, you can do that. You know, if you want to listen for EH, EH, EH cache events, for example, there's interfaces for that. So you could actually fire off CFCs when, you know, things get purged in the EH cache. You know, like just opportunities there are endless. And um, it was one of the things when I wrote it in Java Loader, I was like, oh, if I'd known this like three or four years ago, I probably would have architected apps completely different down the line because I could just do all this sort of stuff. But <laughs> three years ago, I needed to go through all the stuff I had to write so that I could get to the point where I was like, oh, dynamic proxies for, for coffee components would be a really good idea. So I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think it's absolutely awesome. Cool. What about closures? Woo! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you're a big fan of closures. Oh, yes. A lot of people don't really get what closures are, right? And I, I find that a lot. And don't, a lot of people say, "Why would I need closures in ColdFusion?" So, Mark, give us a three-minute rundown. Why three. this is great. Um. Closures are awesome because they're concise. I think it's basically what it boils down to. You will write less code because of closures. Um, I'm actually looking for an email that I wrote ages ago explaining why I think closures are only awesome. Only if you understand closures. And I th- <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's sort of obvious, right? <laughs> I think there's a large, but that's what I'm trying to, there's a large, there's a large proportion of the community that, that, that will never come in touch with it, I, I suspect. And but I, I hope that, that something like that doesn't go the way of, say, CF Interface which is something people are clamoring for, but at the end of the day, nobody uses. Um, but I, one, I actually disagree because people who are writing JavaScript invariably are writing closures without even realizing it. Particularly people who True. write jQuery stuff. Yes. You write closures all the time. You write closures all the time. And really, look, a closure at the end of the day is actually really something straightforward. It's a function that you can define pretty much anywhere, and no matter where it gets called, retains the context of where it was written. Okay, that actually sounds a little bit more complicated than it actually is. It totally does, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would say, can I, I'll try, have a crack at, at paraphrasing. Basically, closures will be something framework developers can use to make it easier for their users to do stuff because they won't know that they're using them. But I disagree with that because See, so I, I don't know. You make you make the statement about JavaScript, which I think I, I don't disagree. The closure is not a good yeah. thing. But I'm just trying to say, let's say we take a classic jQuery developer. There's not very many jQuery developers understand the concept of closures in terms of wanting to architect something with closures. Okay. 
Let they me, would let use me them some, because they're just part and parcel of what they need to do to get stuff done. Use, use cases for, for closures that are fantastic. I don't know the amount of times that I've had to use the jQuery uh, quick uh, sort. Not to, let me try that again. To use the CFLib. There's a CFLib function called quick sort where you can pass in, you actually pass in an actual function because um, you, can, you can move functions around in CF to use as a comparator. Like, so arbitrarily being able to sort uh, arrays. Is huge. Like I just think that's that's you know that's huge. Being able to say, okay, I want to sort this array by the second property of you know you know the the whether or not employees are currently you know what's their salary, for example. You know, doing things like that you can't do in CF now without digging into. You could create a query of queries, and then you could do a query. Okay, so what you're going to take an array, convert it to query, (laughs) then convert it back? Are you like seriously? Um, you take you're getting me all wrong. I'm not. I'm not arguing yeah. against it. I'm just arguing whether or not the engineering effort to make it happen is worth it. And if it's not a great deal of engineering effort, then it's something they should absolutely do. Yeah. If it is something that's going to take a huge amount of their resources to, to implement, I wonder if there's other things they might be focusing on. I, I actually think that it's one of those features that there are a lot of people who are like, huh, I don't get it or why would we need it? And then when they have it in their hands, they're going to go, I don't know how I live without this. Can we actually try to compare, to compare the features of having the feature of having closures, and you know its importance to CF interface? What Jeff brought up, right? I mean, CF interface is actually a good feature. I think it's not bad. It's got it's got it's, its place. It's not. It has its it's not. It's not as useful for everybody as it could be, maybe. And a lot of people, you know, wouldn't even have a clue why they should use it. But I think it has a place beyond framework authors. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. It has a place for, if you build a whole, a huge library of components with your business logic, if you use ORM, there are all use cases for using CF interface. Yeah. Totally valid use cases. I would so- say if you're building a large library for anybody, so it doesn't necessarily mean a framework, there are use cases for interfaces where you want to have exactly. interruption yes. in place. Uh, look, because there's no the doubt that there are no the doubt there's use cases. It's like saying there's use cases for unit testing. Of course there is. But how many people actually do it? And that's the kind of unit testing I think is starting to get a little bit of traction in the community in the same way that version control was getting traction five years ago. I'd I'd like to hope that Hudson and continuous – I actually don't want to say Hudson, I'll say Jenkins. But Jenkins and continuous integration is is getting hold. I I, I was actually hoping that unit testing was something that's already taken hold. But maybe I'm just being optimistic. You are way too optimistic, I think. I think you are way too optimistic. This is is what I'm trying to say. I mean, they're all good things. Don't get me wrong. I love them. I think it should be done. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. Closure should be in. Yep. Mm -hmm. Marvelous. But (laughs) at the end of the day, see if interfaced, I I would doubt there's 1% of the community uses it, has ever written the tag. You're probably right. I'll, I'll agree with you on that one, but I think, I think when people start to really understand closures, I think a lot of people will use them because I think they're going to just make life so much easier for so many people. But I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I have to agree. You know, they make or they can make your life much, much easier. It's probably, you know, part of the whole story is how Adobe or we as a community basically push out that message. You know, and also how the syntax will look like. That's another thing, obviously. If it's an easy-to-grasp to syntax for people, and if the, the, the concept of closures is explained well enough, then people will love it. I, can't, I couldn't see why they wouldn't, basically. It's, for me, it boils down to, if it's easy to implement, it should definitely be done. 
that that's really that's really where I would stand. If and maybe it is. I, I just don't know enough of the, the engineering requirements to get it in place. But if it were relatively straightforward to put in place, I don't think there's any doubt that anyone would argue against it. It'd be a fantastic addition. If it's yep. a huge effort, like a monumental effort that's going to cause regression problems and all the rest of it to implement, then you'd have to seriously doubt whether or not it was worthwhile. That'd be the only thing I'd say. And I just hope that it's easy to implement. Surely it must be. Market know all these things. Surely behind under the hood. Guru, I such would, that you are. I could be now. I could be wrong. Um, from my experience, I would have thought that it would actually be relatively easy, simply because you already have what are often referred to as higher order functions, which are basically functions that are first class citizens. Yeah. Um, so you can move. You can also you can do all sorts of crazy stuff with CFCs, like draw, add, remove, drop, move around functions from one place to another. But um, this is where I was talking about context. But the point is, in there, the context of the function is wherever it gets, uh, wherever it's attached to. So if you move a function from one CFC to another, then it starts accessing the variable scope of that function, of that of that CFC, rather than where it was originally, whereas closures would retain the case of where they were before. Um, so it would just be a case of, I would have thought, totally like off the top of my head, I have no idea, that it would be a case of saying, okay, rather than the context being whichever CFC it's on or whatever page it's on, we just track where it was originally implemented and say, okay, what's your context when you were first implemented? And then we execute you like you would normally be executed. So I would, that's what I would have thought, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know that much. Yeah, I think, I think we'll see how it goes and what, you know, yeah. when there will be the first, whatever, alpha or beta or public release of Cold Fusion 10, then we'll ha all have a look at it and say, yeah, we like yeah. that or we, maybe we don't like it. Because <laughs> oh, otherwise you end up doing stuff like visitor patterns and stuff, which you can do. And it's just, it's just verbose. It's just really verbose. And strategy patterns and things like that can just be tidied up so much nicer than with closures. I'll stop ranting. I had a, an interesting question, a little bit off topic, about um, CF Objective, which Mark might be able to answer, in terms of uh, Adobe appear to have pulled support for the conference as a sponsor, and Rilo, of all people, have, have moved to a kind of gold sponsorship position. Do you know what the politics behind that is, or are we not allowed to even discuss it? I don't know if I know anything. Actually, I, I really have no official role within the CF Objective US conference. Um, obviously, I only run, run the one here. So I can only pretty much tell you what the, the blog says. Um, it's a bit of an interesting one. Um, I don't, don't deny that. I'm actually looking for the blog post now so that I can, uh, I can quote it directly. The, the blog post pretty much said, basically, there was no agreement on a you know, sponsorship engagement that both sides could, you know, could be what, what we're happy with. That's pretty much what yeah. the what the blog post said, and I think that is sort of fair enough. You know, it's uh, well. I, I think maybe it's maybe it's something for a discussion another time because it's certainly something in the community that I think needs to be discussed more openly. And it, I, I don't literally know the answer to this, but it would not surprise me if uh, it was a choice between Rilo as a sponsor or Adobe as a sponsor. And having already accepted Rilo, it becomes you know, a kind of a political impasse for them to to just reject somebody who's been a, a good sponsor to them for no reason other than the fact that they're being boycotted in that way. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've been a little bit out of that side of things for, for some time, but it, it seems to me that in general um, we're not handling the whole RILO OpenBD thing as well as we could as a community of Cold Fusion people. That is a very interesting topic. And I mean, that's much, much broader than just the, you know, the conference as such, yeah. obviously, right? Because there is, 
I mean, they, they, lots of stuff goes into that. It's like, you know, official policy, you know, how Adobe probably deals with com competition or competitors. It's like, you know, stuff like plays into that, how, how we as a community think, um, you know, an open discussion between all those engines should work. There's lots of personal, you know, stuff going on behind the scenes probably between all those communities and it's really hard i mean it's from from my point of view it's really hard to even get an idea what what actually is going on behind the scenes and between all those different engines i personally would think there should be a place for all the different confusion engines but that's as soon as you get into a competitive scenario it's obviously difficult right i mean there are so many forces in play which make it hard to get to that stage. I don't know. It's tricky, isn't it? I mean, from, yeah. from my perspective, we we don't have we don't have even one Rilo implementation with a client anywhere. Yeah, that's so the same. So we'd be Adobe Cold Fusion yeah. end to end, and our support of Rilo really only extends through um, our open source community for Far Cry and also for OpenBD. Um, but you, you know, I, I just think the way in which some of the things are beginning to sort of pan out in the, the, the ruckus over the uh, open source Cold Fusion conference, now the CF Objective conference, now this whole kind of, um, you know, he said, she said type of uh, in the public display combatants going on, it's, it's totally unhealthy for us as a community. And I, I just I wonder whether it's sure. necessary. Mm. Anyway, it's probably talk for another time. Yeah, it's a, look, it's, I think it's going to be a tough one all over the shop, especially when you're dealing with two businesses that are so very different in their um, implementation. Obviously, Adobe's a large corporate structure with public, you know, stakeholders and all that sort of stuff, rather as, you know, open source and, you know, very different in their model that way. But I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's um, obviously, I think there are obviously times where I think people on both sides could just, you know, take a breath a little, can't stand <laughs> for doing anything. Um, but, you know, it's, it's I've definitely seen it on both sides where people are like, you know, we'll stuff this person and, you know, screw that camp and all that sort of stuff, which I just think is, is, is unnecessary. Um, because at the end of the day, if we start attacking each other, then, you know, we're already, we're already a niche market. So why go down that road? Why, why present that? Why give yourself that obstacle already when, when there already are other obstacles in your way? It just seems it seems counterintuitive and, and a bit ridiculous at times. So, you know, it's um, I think it's going to be a battle that's going to keep being fought on a lot of fronts between a lot of people going forward, and we'll see how it all goes out. I think it's it's an interesting one. Um, Food for thought. On the flip side, yeah, flip side. You know, competition breeds uh, best of breed. So, uh, in some ways, that's a good thing for Call Fusion developers as well. If you, you were going to say something, or you start. No, no, I just, just, uh, you know, one of those pensive and and thoughtful silences. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's all pause for a moment and, and put our fists to our chin as we think thoughtfully. Thinking, I mean, the thinking pose. No, but coming back to quickly to CF Objective, I think um, you know the the guys have made the decision, and that's that's fine. And it's, I don't read it as you know a general sign of things to come or things to happen and it will be you know up to basically each individual conference to come up with you know a solution or a model how they want to run that 
Yeah. I mean, Jeff, you, I mean, I've only had a couple of years experience running a conference. Um, Jeff, you've had one for obviously a lot longer. I know Kai does flash camp in New Zealand as well. You know, there's always, there's always um, interesting hurdles that need to be jumped with sponsors and, and certain conditions and, you know, making them happy in certain ways. And, and we all kind of have to do it to a, to a certain degree. Um, so I guess it's just another, another road to go down and another obstacle to, to navigate. Yeah, it's always um, it, it's it's one of those things that's always fraught with danger. And I think, really, at the end of the day, as a conference organizer, you've got to you've got to deliver value to your sponsors. Agreed. And uh, it, it's just difficult that sometimes you get in in the way of that um, that political fallout that 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 may or may not be going on behind the scenes. And uh, you know, as I say, I think it's it's something that we should definitely explore as a community in a more frank and open way because i think open source has got a lot to contribute and it's it's almost as if open source communities themselves apart from the engines are being tarred with a a similar sort of brush because their mindset is in the same alignment as say the open source engines but in a different alignment to say the commercial community but in in the same breath they need each other to survive i mean there's no way i think the cold fusion community would survive with the same degree of of fervor if Adobe stepped out of the arena. Um, you know, I, th- yeah, I think totally agree. Uh, yeah. it would continue on. There's no doubt about that. And there's a lot of open source engines and it'll always be there and so on and so forth. But it, it just won't have the same traction that it does today if Adobe decides that um, it's not a business they want to be a part of. So, you know, to that, to that, to that extent, it needs to be healthy, but it, it needs to be, you know, you don't want the can. We lost Jeff again. Yeah, it's someone keeps like, calling him or something. Interesting. Yeah, he's using his iPhone for on for Skyping. So I think that's the the main issue. And then maybe the main issue. Yeah. So should we quickly move on from Cold Fusion X and mention a few other things? Like, for example, that the CF Builder two public beta is out. Yes, which is very good. Are you using that at the moment? I'm using CF Builder two public beta or a beta <laughs> for yeah. quite a while. Yes, and I'm very very happy with it. It's actually yeah. a Great editor and a great IDE. Yeah, it's 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 got a massive massive improvement over CF Builder One from my point of view. What are your what are your favorite new features? Oh, my favorite new features are really um, the the possibility to inspect components and to get you know code completion and code hints from component libraries I've got in my app. Yep. So Cold Fusion Builder basically picks up all my CFCs, you know, and it, it gives me actually my functions in my CFCs when I instantiate a function and doing all that stuff. So that's really, really handy. And the other thing that I really like is quick fixes. And that's a quite cool feature. I don't know if you know, people have played with that. Um, that's basically, you know, you, for example, instantiate a CFC or you call a method or something and it's not there yet. And you get a little, you know, a little marker in, in your source view saying, you know, something is not right and quick fix, you can double click the quick fix and basically you've got an op- option to, you know, create the CFC in the same folder or in another folder and it builds you the things that are missing automatically, which makes it so nice just to start, you know, you start writing code and you, while you're writing code, you plan out which, you, which CFCs and which objects you might need and then you just get them created while you go. See, I have, I have, I like Quick Fix, but I have, and I've, I've submitted this as a bug. I have a, a an annoying problem with it, which I don't like, um, particularly because I, I do a lot of stuff. Obviously, I'm writing Cold Spring at the moment, and or Cold Spring Two, and writing that for CF8 
I'm using tag-based functions, but often I'll just switch into script when I'm inside them. Okay. Um, and what QuickFix does is it looks at, like if you're, say you write a function that doesn't exist, it looks at what the block of code is that you're in. So I write a function that doesn't exist and I might write that inside a CF script block and it goes, oh, that doesn't exist. Do you want a quick fix? I go, yeah, that'd be great, quick fix. And so it creates a, an inline script function. Ah, uh, yeah. Which, which for me is completely useless. Yeah. What I want it to do, and I've, I've put this in the debug base and hopefully it gets fixed, is it, it actually looks, if I'm in a component, it looks at the component I'm in. It says, yep. oh, you're in, a, you're in a script component or you're in a tag-based component. I'll write a function that matches that. Yes, I agree. That would be Other, handy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that would be good. And then maybe, I don't know how it would handle on a page or something, but that, that would make that a lot better for me. But the, the whole idea of it's really nice, I have to say. It's, it's really good. I find the, yeah, the code completion is much better now, yeah. I think. Um, another thing is actually, is Jeff actually back? Yeah, Jeff, I, I'm here. here. Oh, okay. Do you have a baby in the room or something? <laughs> I'm running around with this. <laughs> Sorry, this is, uh, that's Isabella in the background. Isabella Bowers. She's a uh, yeah, future coder. Programmer. <laughs> um, yeah, the other feature I really um, like in CF Builder 2 is the code formatting. Oh, that is nice. I do you use know, that. I didn't because, think I would. I yeah, do. Because, because I used to use this external tool called HTML Formatter, which um, you could, it was a Windows only tool, which you could buy basically for 10 or $15 or so. And then you could. Th you know, put in some HTML or ColdFusion code. It was it actively supported ColdFusion, and it was formatting it nicely. You know, you have sometimes those legacy pages or that legacy code, which is just totally ugly formatted. So I used that, copied it in there, and then copied it back out into my IDE, which was always really annoying, particularly yep. because it was a Windows-only tool, and it made it really hard for me to use it on a Mac. I had to copy it into yep. a VM, and it's like, oh, really? Yeah. And you know, with the with the with the code formatter in CF Builder two, that's beautiful. You know, you can configure all the stuff, and you you know, it's like, oh, I love it. You know, that's you know where I find I use it a lot, which is actually really weird. Like, um, I'll often do stuff where, like, I'm sure we've all done this, where you know, you, you're um, you're taking a list of you know maybe things that are going into a database, and then you go over to another page and you copy paste that. You know, you copy those insert statements over to another page so that you can use them to, as reference for all the objects you have to pull out for somewhere else something similar to that. So what often I'll do is I'll be doing something along those lines. I'll use, you know, uh, search and replace regexes to, to put the code just in as easy as I want, either on a single line or whatnot. And so I don't have to worry about the formatting on my search and replace or go oh. back through and then reformat everything. So I can just do really cruddy sort of code. They just, you know, regex search and replace of whatever my old insert statements to like some ORM stuff, for example. Do that and then just highlight it all, go control shift F and then it's like, oh, sweet. Now it's in the format I like. That is actually an interesting way to use it. Yeah, I never thought about that, actually. Yeah, I, I do that, that a My problem is I deal with lots of legacy code at the moment in my current project, basically. And yep. there are, like, you know, there are pages mixing HTML and ColdFusion, and uh, they've been yep. written, like, in, you know, whatever, 1998, and have been touched by 27 developers since then. And it's, I just, you know... I, Format I need, it as I, I like I, it. I need, I need it in a nice way that I can even get an idea of what this thing is doing. You know, it's like, yeah, and that, that helps me a lot to do that. Jeff, you're using Builder 2 at the moment? I am still waiting for TextMate 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's only been something like eight years. It's like Duke Nukem forever. <laughs> <laughs> 
One of these days, Jeff, we'll get you over to Eclipse. I, swear. I, my, I, I used to, I was a big Eclipse user and then a big CF Eclipse and then a big CF Builder user, but I'm back to TextMate. So I don't know. I've, I've got the, I've got the beta. Got to, got to find the time to, to install it. Everything I'm doing at the moment is, um, you know, it's typically emergency style fixes and I just don't have the time for a new IDE at the moment. That's fair enough. But I now I think overall CF Builder two looks great, and I think it yep. will be a really really good release, and people will hopefully start to use it more, and you know, make their life easier. And you know, oh another thing that is great are extensions. You know how yeah, cool some is, extension stuff are cool. How yeah. cool is it to you know write a CF Builder Eclipse extension in Cold Fusion and you know do all that cool stuff? It's that it's it's you know it's truly the awesome thing because it's like the, the I, a bona fide IDE for Cold Fusion developers, like an official commercial supported IDE from Adobe is a massive kind of injection, I think, into the community, much bigger than, say, the latest server release or the next kind of server feature. It's been a critical missing feature for so long. And to give people the ability to write their own functions in that that IDE in the language that they're used to, i.e. Cold Fusion, is just a brilliant plan. I mean, that's, yeah. that's basically the reason why it will be a success if anything, and that's, you know, you're a Java developer, you're working in Eclipse, you can tool around if you want to and, and build stuff. And, and ha- having even said that, that's not entirely true because Eclipse has got its own yeah. mystical bloody environment that's almost impenetrable. So it's, um, y- you know, you're giving easy access to people who otherwise would have zero control over their IDE, yeah. which is great. Yeah, yeah uh, for example, I just recently um, used Vascopa, or I use Vascopa a lot for those leg- legacy code bases, you know, to... Easily Mr. Fix, Schilberg. fix things, yeah. And yep. um, there is a uh, an extension for Cold Fusion Builder 2 for Wascope, which even integrates into the IDE as a view. So basically, you yeah. get the output of the Wascope run in a little you know view in, in Eclipse, basically. You know, it's just like, wow, it's so awesome. Great, you know? That's really it's good. It's pretty cool. It's kind of like why mobile is. To- I know this is total. This is a total tangent. Forgive me, but it's like, you know, mobile app space, native apps for years. It's been impenetrable. I mean, obviously, the iPhone and everything else has made that whole progression a little bit easier. But the reality is, the big explosion in apps has got to be web apps for mobile. Web apps that are kind of native, and any old mug can write them. Isn't it empowering? You've got all these lunatics out there putting together a bit of HTML and all of a sudden you've got a web app. And it's exactly the same with these extensions. You can, you know, if you haven't tried already, you should get out there, a bit of HTML, a bit of JavaScript, a few licks of Cold Fusion, and instantly you've got an extension. It's awesome. I'm yep. waiting for the very first fart application or fart extension for Cold Fusion. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. really? Think, <laughs> it's probably already been written, but nobody's had the courage to release it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there needs to be one of those. <laughs> oh, dear. oh God! <laughs> is there going to be like a is Reaforge going to be it, or is there going to be a sort of an app store for for uh, extensions? I was actually wondering the same when we when Mark mentioned the you know the fart app idea if people would charge for that or if it was for free. <laughs> and I was wondering, you know, how would you build a a proper commercial extension for CF Builder two? In a way that you could, you know, like sell it in a, you know, potentially se- secure way. That makes it a bit tricky, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to deliver the source code for it. I think. 
but even even if you didn't want to have to secure it as a binary or anything, you could you could just just releasing an open source one. At the moment, you you kind of have to know where to go, where to get it, where to download it, where to install it. Um, is there going to be a, a nice central location, or is that Reaforge? So basically, what you're saying is you need an extension for Builder for installing extension. Oh, that's it. That's exactly like right. a little, you know, CFB Builder extension store extension, and that yeah. gets the stuff maybe from different sources where you can register your extension somewhere. Because there's quite a few on uh, RA Forge. Yeah, and it wouldn't actually be hard. All you really need to do is download it and install it somehow. Like a similar. Like, it sounds like, like a job for Ray Camden. That's what it sounds like. That sounds like that. I agree. Yeah, he's got lots of time at his hands anyway. You know, he can just it's, a CF, it's a cfextension.org style website, isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, dear, that Ray. He's everywhere. I see there. He has got an REA Forge downloader extension. Oh, really? I'm just looking at that right now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know when that last got updated. 2009. Okay, yeah, it was a little while ago. <laughs> a few other bits and bobs. Interesting, interesting. Looking through. Oh, there's the Bascopa one. Very nice. Yeah, all good stuff. Yep. So, anything else to discuss for today? Or are we done? Oh, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. You've exhausted me, you two developers from down under. <laughs> it's been it's been real. Oh, it's come been, on, Jeff. <laughs> it hasn't been, been imaginary. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so do we have any community announcements for today? I don't think so. Web2U. Web2U.com.au. What's the story with um, you know community events around Web2U? Is there Code Wars the night before? Just quickly before I, we finish. I have, I have, Robin has been very difficult to get hold of, and of course he is the master of all Code Wars. So uh, still yet to be determined. Okay. I can confirm uh, that there will be a speaker barbecue at the usual location. you So uh, that's yeah. a bit of cryptic, cryptic news for those people who are speakers at the conference, but I um, uh, can confirm that that is, that is happening. I can say as, as a, a previous attendee for the Speaker Barbecue, definitely you should be there. That is a highlight of the WebTV agenda, I think. It's like, it's like an Oscars after party, except it's like the after-after party, you know, the really good ones where... Uh, where Charlie Sheen goes and gets his face melted off. That's that's the sort of party. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> is he coming? Um, Char- well, he hasn't responded to my Twitters, but uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. Okay. We could always do a little bit of entertainment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's Web to you, obviously. Um, and um, I think I got a message from David from the... New Zealand Confusion user group that they yeah, are going to past. run. Yeah, but they are going to run April and May meetings. Um, that's true. Which are going to be announced quite soon. Just from my end, we are going to have a um, Flash Platform user group meeting in Wellington on. Let me just double check. Most likely the 12th of April, which is in the week of WebDU, and the topic will be how to write um, navigators for Adobe Acrobat in Flex. I could probably, uh, you know what, uh, the Melbourne Cold Fusion user group recently got amalgamated with, um, I think, what was once the Flex user group, though it doesn't exist anymore, and now it's the uh, Melbourne Adobe Developers group. It's MAD. Wow. Uh, that recently came together. Um, so that's that's got some stuff going on in it as well. I think there was a, there was a, there was a post out to the CFLZ mailing list a while ago about it. 
Um, I'm not sure whether I think it's Mad. You can get it on Adobe Groups. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and yeah, the, it's mad.groups.adobe.com, which is an awesome URL. Yeah, and the last thing regarding to that on April 21st, that's a Thursday. That's going to be the next meeting of the Brisbane Flash Platform Group, as far as I know. But I don't know yeah. what the topic is. Cool. All right. I think so. so that, I think that is about it. pretty much it for today, I think. All right. So we should get back into the habit of doing it, you know, like fortnightly, the recordings, I think. Um, okay. They probably make two sessions out of this one. Yeah, we could, but you know, it's like a. We won't. No, we won't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we just take whatever we record and put it live, basically. <laughs> so I think. Well, thanks yeah. for having me. It's it's been uh, it's been wonderful. Thanks for uh, for joining <laughs> us for on coming. Saturday. And, yes. Um, I guess we'll. Oh, I'll see you at WebDU. See you at WebDU. I'll cool. see you, Jeff, at some point. Maybe at uh, CF Objective ANZ later in the year. Oh, definitely. Wonderful. Alrighty. So we'll or you guys hear us in about two weeks again and you know, have a good weekend everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.